Word of God again in the first general epistle of John, chapter 4. The first general epistle of John, chapter 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And every one that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. And this was manifested, the love of God, toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man hath seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is 
love. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. This is the inspired and the infallible word of the living God. May he bless the reading of his word, and to his name be the praise. Dear congregation, just let me say that it's a a great uh, delight to be with you again. Uh, I was here something like 10 years ago as a student, and it's it's good to be with you again. And and greetings from uh, Tilsonburg, uh, the the Hope Reformed Church there also. Well, let's turn now to the part of God's Word that we read in 1 John chapter 4. And we'd like to consider uh, verses 7 through 12. 1 John 4, verse 7 through 12, this wonderful section that speaks about both who, who God is as the God who is love, but also the, the love that this God has shown to, to sinners, and also the way in which we are to love one another. Now, you know and I know that the world speaks about, writes about, sings about love. The world is seeking for love. It's looking for love. And yet, the question is, what is love? That's not just a question for the world, though. We, we in the church, we preach a gospel of the love of God. We, we speak about the need to love one another. We speak about the need to love our enemies. But again, the question, but what is love? Now, here the Apostle John is going to show us what love truly is, what perfect true love is. And and really, at the human level at least, who better than the Apostle John? John is the one who is called the beloved disciple. He's the one who speaks about him in this way, that he is about himself in this way. He says, I am the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, of course, Jesus loved all the disciples. But John is one who couldn't get over this glorious fact that God in Christ loved 
me. I am the disciple that Jesus loved. Now, John speaks repeatedly in this epistle about love. And he's an old man at this point. In many ways, John is like he's like a father or maybe even a grandfather figure at this point. He's, he's an old man now. The other disciples have died, and John is the, the last remaining disciple, and he's an old man. And as you read this epistle, you know, if you didn't realize this book is inspired, it's inerrant, it's God-breathed, there's no mistakes there's no needless repetition. You might think that John is, is kind of repeating himself. He says something, and then he moves on to another theme, and then he comes back to this theme again, and suddenly we're talking about love again, and then we move on, and, and then we're talking about love again. But there's no, there is a certain repetition, but this is not certainly not needless repetition. What I think John is doing here is he's narrowing in. So, in chapter 2, for example, he, he tells us about an old commandment, which we have heard from the beginning, but then he also calls it a new commandment. This is verse 7 and 8. And the commandment is this, that you love one another but it's, it's true that there could be, at least in our minds, a kind of question and some kind of wiggle room, perhaps, in our minds. But what exactly does this love look like? What does it mean to love one another? And so John, in chapter 3 then, he comes back to this, and he's telling us again that we're to love one another. In verse 11, following, it's he says, this is the message. It's the one you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And this time, in chapter 3, he gives you an example. He says, it's not like this. It's not like Cain. Remember, children, what Cain did to his brother? Cain killed his brother. And God says, That's not, this is not love. It's not like Cain who killed his brother. But it's like this, he says. And he goes to the love of God and Jesus Christ for sinners. And so suddenly, the, 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 the whole concept of love is being, is being narrowed in on Jesus Christ and what He did. That's, that's the love that we're to have for one another, a self-sacrificial love. But now you come to chapter 4, and again John is giving us the same message again. Beloved, he says, verse 7, our text, let, let us love one another. But do you notice what John does now? Now John goes to the very being of God Himself. Let us love one another, for God is love. And we want to consider these great, these glorious words with these three thoughts as we have them in your bulletin there. God, firstly, is love in Himself. Secondly, He is love in Christ. And thirdly, He is love in His people. So, God is love. You can remember this too, children. God is love in Himself, in Christ, and in His people. But first of all, God is love in Himself. Look again, verse 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God 
and knoweth God, he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. And, and so here, John is bringing us to the very fountain, the very source of love. And you've got these three very simple words. One very simple statement. A, a three-letter word, a two-letter word, and a four-letter word. God is love. And yet in this one simple statement, in these short words and, and simple words, you have an eternal mystery of glory and majesty. These three words bring us to the very being of God. This is who God is. God is love. Now, John here is he's bringing us to think about God in himself. God and no one else. God and nothing else. So again, here children, you've got to, we've got to try and think of God before there were people. God before there's a world of which you can say, God so loved the world. God before there was fish, God before there were birds, God before there were animals, God before there was sea, God before there was land. God before there are mountains. God before there are clouds. God before there is a world. God before there is sun, moon, stars. God before there is night and day. God before there is light and darkness. God before there are angels. God and nothing else. God before the whole creation. God entirely in himself. And there is where we're to think, says John, and there, this glorious truth, is true. God is love. Now, this raises a question because we come and we think, well, how can that be? You know, the question we would have is, well, who does God love? Right? If, if you are loved, then you are to love someone or something. Who does God love if there's no world to love? There's no people to love. There's no animals to love. There's no uh, uh, Adam and Eve. There's no people to love. L love, love needs someone. Love needs something to love. Love needs relationship. You, you can't just have love in the abstract. I can't just say, you know, Pastor Ian McLeod is love in himself. If it was me and nothing else, if it was me and no one else, if I could imagine such a world, just, just me and nothing or nobody else, that would be misery for me. Who and what would I love? You could love yourself, but that's not love. Love needs relationship. Love needs someone or something to love. Love needs to be loved. Love needs love that goes from the one to the other. You think of what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13 when he speaks about gospel love. He says it's kind. But kind to whom? He says it's patient. But patient with whom? He says it does not envy, but does not envy whom or what? 
Love needs relationship. And here then, you know, back to God in Himself, John is giving us this amazing statement that God in Himself, without anyone or anything else, God in Himself is perfect, perfect love. In God, there is perfect love. That means in God, there is one who loves. And in God, there is the one who is loved. And in God, there is a spirit of love that goes from the one to the other. And you see where this is going, don't you? In this one God, there are three persons. There is the Father. There is the Son. There is the Holy Spirit. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. And all in this glorious communion of love. That's why the old theologians said you need, for perfect love, you need Trinity. You need the one loving, the one being loved, and you need a spirit or a communion of love as well. That, by the way, is why there cannot be love in Islam. It's why the Muslim God cannot love. He is one person. And so in himself, there is no one else to love, and there's no one else that loves him. And so there is no love here. And so God in himself, the triune God, the only God who is, is perfect love. Now, what a thought, what a glorious mystery. You could spend endless sermons on this theme of God's love in himself, but but it's telling us, isn't it, God, God doesn't need anyone or anything. He doesn't He doesn't need you or me. He doesn't need to create in order to find fulfillment. We need that. We need someone else who we love and to be loved. God doesn't. God is perfectly, gloriously blessed in His own triune being. He is love in Himself. He is complete in Himself. But this also tells us, doesn't it, that we need the God of the Bible to tell us what true love is. And we need the God of the Bible also to give us real and true love. I remember in my student days in Glasgow, many years ago now, um, sitting behind someone who who had this statement on their t-shirt. We love, hate, and we hate love. What a terrible thing to think, far less to put on your t-shirt, to show to people around you. We hate love, we love hate. But then I thought, but actually, isn't that true? If you don't have God, if you don't know God, as verse 7 and 8 says, the one who knows God is the one who loves. The one who doesn't love doesn't know God. So the person who doesn't know God, it's actually true. They do hate love. They do love hate. We need this God who is love to give true and real love. But think also now of how this comforts the Christian, the one who comes to know this God in Jesus Christ, the one who has a relationship with this God in Jesus Christ. This is life eternal, that we would know thee, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. And in the hardness of our lives, in the pain that 
some of us may feel physically, in, our, in the pain many of us have felt or feel, in the heartaches, the broken relationships, the persecution. What a glorious truth this is. God is unchangeably love. But I want to come now and consider the second point that not only is God love in himself, and you could, as I said, you could stay there to all eternity, really, and never exhaust this subject. But here in verses 9 and 10, we're told that God is love in Christ. Here, here you have the, the supreme display of the love of God. Here is where it shines most gloriously. Now, God, God does not need to love anyone else. We said that already. He does not need to love anyone outside of himself. And yet, these verses are telling us that this God who is complete in himself, this God who doesn't need anything else to add to his own blessedness and happiness and glory and love, this God who is infinitely, eternally, unchangeably love in himself, this God did love others. This, the, this love that is in God went outside of himself and landed upon other things and other people. And you, you just try to begin to analyze the kind of love that this is. And it is astonishing. It is truly amazing. And my hope, my prayer for you is that you will never take the love of God for granted. I trust the husbands and the wives here, you never take the love of your spouse for granted. It's always something you cherish. Same for you children to parents. You never take their love for you for granted. It's something you always value. Let us never, never take the love of God for sinners for granted. Let us never think of the love of God for sinners as something obvious. Well, of course God loves other sinners. He's the God of love. There, there's nothing at our level obvious about it at all. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. We have to think of everything the Bible says about God, even what John says in chapter 1 of this letter. Remember the other thing that God says about God and John? God is love, chapter 4. What did he say in chapter 1? God is light. God is holy. There's no darkness in him. God is the God of perfect, complete holiness. He cannot not be holy. He cannot love the darkness. He cannot love sin. He, it is impossible for God to love sin. God hates the wicked, the psalm says. God, God hates lying. God, God hates sin with a perfect hatred. He would stop being God if he did not. And yet, this text is saying that the love of the infinitely holy God who is light, this love of God came to sinners to sinners who are unlovely, to sinners who are the embodiment of what God hates, sin, to sinners who lie and steal and 
hit brothers and sisters and hit older people and lie and do such terrible things. Here we're told God has loved the unlovely. And this puts the love of God towards sinners in a category of its own. Nothing compares to this. You can't find anything that compares to this. It's in a league of its own. So verse 9, in this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved Him, God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. You know, you know what John's doing here? It's as though he's searching the whole world for the best human love he can find. And he finds it. He, he searches and he finds the, the purest, the best, the most lovely, the most attractive love that, there, that exists in the whole world. And do you know what that love is? It's the love of a sinner to God. And, and that is indeed a great and a glorious and a wonderful thing that there are people in this sin-sick world that love God. The first and the great commandment is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and strength and mind. Jesus says that's the first, that's the great commandment. And that, my dear friends, is a wonderful, wonderful thing that a sinner should love God. It's not the way they're born. They're born with sin. They're born with hatred for God, with enmity to God in their hearts. Jesus can speak to religious people in John 5.42 and he says, I know you. You do not have the love of God in you. People who go to church, people who read their Bibles, people who pray long, people who fast, pe people who teach other people about religion. I know you, he says. You do not have the love of God in you. John 5.42. So what a mystery it is to find a sinner who hated God, now loving God, desiring God, singing praise to God, calling upon His name in truth. That is a great mystery. That is a great, great wonder. To sit, for a sinner to sing in sweet communion, Lord, with thee, I constantly abide. What happened to this person? God loved them. God loved them. Verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. God in his love saved the person. God in his love 
gave spiritual life to the person who was dead in trespasses and in sin. God, by His Spirit, came and gave that life and justified and adopted to be a child of God and will eventually glorify. God has worked a work of grace. What a wonderful thing that is. But here's the thing now, as wonderful as that is, it's an understandable thing, isn't it? Because there's endless reasons to love God. We, we can always, always, always say, I love God because. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because, Psalm 116, He has heard my voice. He listened to me when I was in the depth. I was on, in the valley of death and I cried out to Him and He heard me and He saved me and And there's these endless reasons now to sing His praise and to love Him. I love God because He is glorious. He is holy. He is light. He is beautiful. He is merciful. He is kind. He is compassionate. He is truth itself. He is love. He is lovely. There are endless reasons for a sinner and why a sinner ought to love God. Oh, love the Lord all you his saints, the psalm says, because the Lord guards the faithful. I love the Lord because the saints in heaven will continue to sing about God's love to them forever and forever unto him that loved us because, and unto him that loved us and gave us and saved us from our sins. But here John now, he says, but here's the real, real wonder. Here is the the picture, the perfect picture of love. Now, you see how he said that in verse 10. Herein is love, and then he takes the best human love he can find, love to God, and he says, it's not that. The best human love, the most wonderful human love I can find, love of a sinner to God, as as wonderful as that is, that's not the perfect picture of love. Herein is love, not that we loved God. But here it is, that He loved us. And, you know, you could stop there if that's all it said and say, what a wonder that is, us, we who are so sinful. We, we who are so miserable, we, we who lie and steal and break these commandments and love ourselves more than we love God and love ourselves more than we love other people. He loved us. What a love is this? What a wonderful love that is. Everything in us is unlovely spiritually. There is nothing lovable about us, but, but it continues, doesn't it? It doesn't stop there. He loved us, and here is how He loved us, and He sent His Son, His Son, His Son, His glorious, only begotten Son. He did not send the cattle on a thousand hills. He did not send the silver and gold of this world. He did not send the the whole world. He did not send His whole heaven. He did not send the angels. He sent His Son. He sent the most lovely, glorious, and loving one that there is. 
The Son He eternally loves. The one without whose love God would no longer be God. The perfect love would break. He sent that Son. And that is indeed, if that is all it had said, such an incredible mystery. But it continues again. God loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that word propitiation, it's not a common word for us, but it's an important word. The word propitiation means the turning away of God's anger. So, so you picture it, that God's anger will always come down on sin. It has to. God will by no means clear the guilty. It will always come down. Whatever sin is, the anger of God is going to fall on it. And propitiation is that which takes this anger of God and moves it away. I mean, maybe children, you think of, I don't know if you've ever been to the Niagara Falls, but you think of, you know, this big waterfall that's crashing down. And let's just imagine that waterfall is pulled up and it's, there's a big dam, but you're standing right at the bottom. And, and this, is gonna, this is about to break open and this huge waterfall is about to fall on you. It, it will crush you. You'll die. And, and suddenly when the thing's opened up, there's, there's no more water. Someone has taken all of that massive amount of water and they've put it somewhere else. And not one drop of it falls on you. Now it's not water. It's not the Niagara Falls that's falling on you. It's the wrath of God. The wrath of God, like a massive, unending, eternal waterfall that will crush us, is falling on us. And propitiation is the taking away of that anger so that it's not there. This is what Jesus has done. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, some people look at a text like this and they say, you know, God is love. Well, that means God cannot send anyone to hell. But my dear friend, that is not the gospel. The God of love can, and the God of love does send sinners to hell. Here is the gospel. God has found a way to deal with the sins of his people. If, if God has taken the, the Niagara, as it were, the, the eternal wrath of God that's going to fall on us because of our sins, if he's taken it away, if it's not falling on us anymore, the question is, where did it go? Because God must punish sin. So where did it go if it, does, if it doesn't fall on us? Well, you know the words of Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. The wrath, the eternal Niagara Falls of God's wrath, so to speak. God has taken off his people, and he has placed it upon Jesus Christ, his beloved Son, the Son he loves the Son who loves him. He has put it on him 
the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That is the gospel. There is a Savior. There is a substitute. And as you, as you look at Calvary's tree and you see there the Son of God in our nature, the Son of God struck and bleeding with a crown of thorns, the Son of God stripped naked, the Son of God hanging on a Roman cross in our nature. You look at that cross and you see the most lovely, the most adorable person that there is, the beloved Son, the tender, the kind, the compassionate Jesus, crying out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And you ask the question, why is he there? He's there because of what you said. He's there because of what you did. He's there because of what you thought. He's there because you lied. He's there because you stole. It's there because you looked and lusted. It's there because you were impatient and unkind. It was there because you were critical and harsh in your words. He was there because you were envious in your thoughts and greedy. He's there because you were uninterested in the worship of God. He's there because you did not keep the Sabbath day holy. He's there because you tuned in and out at times, didn't you, as I did too, in prayer and in worship. The Lord has laid in him the iniquity of us all. Surely he was wounded for our transgression. He's bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace is upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Oh, mystery of mysteries, all love excelling. He is here because God sent his Son to be the propitiation, the turning away of the wrath of God for our sins. And the question, the question when you look at this is, why? Why does God do this? Why does God love like this? Why does He love a sinner like you or a sinner like me like this? What's the reason? That's the point. And that's the mystery. That's the wonder. There are no reasons from our side that there are no reasons in you, and there's no reason in me. God is loving because he chose to love. People ask, where is God when evil happens? But you look at the, look at the cross, and, and in the person of his son, you see him hanging there, bearing away the sins of a countless number of people. God is not distant. God is love, and He's love in Jesus Christ. And this is what gives a sinner hope. It's what gives you hope this morning, glorious gospel hope. This God who is love is also the God of Calvary. You know what God's doing this morning in the gospel? I mean, this isn't just for our admiration. He's commending His love to you. Romans 5, verse 8, God commends his love towards you. Now, the word there is very interesting. It's the same word you would use of a father who gives away his daughter to her new husband at a wedding. Husband, father, mother come down the aisle with the daughter and commend who gives this woman to this man, and mother, and, mother and I. And you commend this daughter that you know and you love 
to this man and you're giving him, her to him. That's what God's doing in the gospel. He's commending. It's as though he's coming down the aisle in his word and he's saying, here is my son. I know him. I love him. My son who suffered. My son who died. My son who bled. My son who takes away the wrath of God. And I commend him to you in a marriage relationship that will never be broken. Oh, what encouragement is here. God commends his love. At Calvary, you don't need a reason in yourself to come to God. You find at Calvary the God who loves the unlovely, the God who needs no reason in you to love you. You find at Calvary love that plunged to the bottom of the bottomless pit for sinners like you and me. God is love in Jesus Christ. But let's see here uh, more briefly that God is love in his people. So here the th- here's the thing. Right? You know, we're not to think of this as though it's saying, you know, God was love in himself and God was love in the past and in, in Jesus Christ on the cross. But, but it's saying now, but right here today, here and now, God continues to be the God of love in his people. Now, now, here's the point, coming back to the beginning, here's the point where all the wiggle room has gone. You know, if, there, if there's kind of a thought, well, I know the Bible says we're to love one another, but there's something about this person here that, that's just, you know, they just rub me the wrong way. And this, there's got to be an out for me here whereby I, I can't be called to, to love this person. John, John has shut the door on all of that wiggle room. Repeatedly, John has said, Beloved, let us love one another. But look at verse 11 again. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. There's no wiggle room left. So John's saying, think of the love that saved you. You know, if you're a Christian, if you're, if you're one who has trusted your soul to Jesus Christ, think of the love that has saved you. What kind of love was it? Was it? What was it like? Did you earn it? Did you deserve it? Can you think of reasons why God loved you this way? If you are a Christian, God loved you in giving himself for you, in, in giving his son to die a horrible, painful, cursed death not after you cleaned up your life, not after you called out to him for, for help and mercy and then he sent his son. No. Romans 5 says so clearly he did it when you were still sinners. He did it when you were ungodly. He did it when you were enemies. Christ died for the ungodly. So isn't it, it's true, isn't it? It's, it's easy to love people that we, we, we enjoy. We, we enjoy their company and they, you know, they love us and we get along well with them and we enjoy socializing. It's easy to love that kind of person. But that's not the kind of love that saved you. That's not the kind of love that saved you. The love that saved you, if you were a Christian here this morning, is that was precisely love to the unlovely. Now, here's where the rub for us comes. 
the person who keeps pressing your buttons, the person who irritates you every time you're with them, the people you don't enjoy being around, if you're going to love them as God loved us, this is exactly the person that we're not just to get along with, we're not just to tolerate, we're not just to try to manage or avoid the confrontation. This is the person we have to love. Verse 12 gives gives another astonishing statement. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. So here here John's saying, nobody has seen the triune God in his essential being. No man can see God and and live. And, And so back to this world that's singing and searching and needing love but can't find it. They cannot see God. They do not. That's, that, is the, that is the tragedy of this fallen, broken, lost world. They cannot see God. But the God of love and the love of God has reached you who are in Jesus Christ. And in you, God, this God, this God of love, he dwelleth in you, John says. So the world cannot see God, but it can see you. And when it sees you loving one another with this kind of love, with God's kind of love, love that loves the unlovely, love to enemies, God's love is perfected, it's shown and perfected, in us. But the question, no doubt, you should be asking, and me too, who can love like this? How do you do this? And the, the, the short answer is you can't, not, not by yourself. That's why you have these phrases. Look again at verse 7. Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God. So that's what we need. We need to be born of God. We need the new birth and knoweth God. And then if you go down to verse 13, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We need the help, the grace of the Holy Spirit of God. We need to be born again. We need a personal relationship with God in Christ and we need that Holy Spirit to be working in us day by day so that the love of God would be shed abroad in our hearts. Well, this is a great and a glorious theme. And I pray that this would be true of you, also now in your vacancy. You had a pastor who loved you, and you loved him. And may this now be true also in the vacancy, that you are characterized as a people who love one another. And anyone who would come in these doors, you you love them too. There's no reason you know, that, for, um, that they need for your love, but you, you, you will love unconditionally because God is love in himself, because, he's God, because God is love in Christ and the gospel we preach, and he's love in his people. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Amen. May the Lord bless his word. Let's, let's call on his name in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious, loving God, oh, what a wonder it is that 
that any of us here would be the objects of thy saving love. We who are such great sinners in ourselves, we thank thee, Lord, for that love that, that would not let thy people go, that love that loved them with an everlasting love and drew them with cords of love. Lord, make us such a people, we pray. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples when you love one another. So we pray all of this for Jesus' sake. Amen.